Let's talk about arterial blood gas indications, clinical implications, and just the procedure itself. Most every respiratory therapy student and respiratory therapist is very familiar with the arterial blood gas concept, or at least the general uh, ramification of drawing the blood and running the blood through the machine and analyzing the values and making a decision thereafter. But there's a lot more to consider than just at face value what we become accustomed to as the familiar. Uh, to start, an arterial blood gas is an invasive measurement of particular substances in the bloodstream. And it gives us a little deeper insight into the current clinical condition of the patient. Now, on an arterial blood gas, the only three values that are truly measured that actually pass over an electrode and you get an absolute value not based on a necessary calculation is pH, PCO2, and PO2. So you're looking at pH as an absolute number, you're looking at partial pressure of arterial oxygen, and you're looking at partial pressure of arterial CO2. Now there is bicarbonate, there's a base excess or deficit which is denoted many times blood lactate level, P50, hemoglobin hematocrit, even some blood chemistry can be evaluated from an arterial blood gas sample. But let's get into why you would want to acquire an arterial blood gas to start. So quite a few years ago, the American Association for Respiratory Care came up with a clinical practice guideline and essentially a working list of the indications for blood gas analysis. And part of that is whether you want to evaluate hemoximetry, which is slightly different. Um, number one is you have to really want to know more information or need to know more information about the adequacy of a patient's ventilatory status. Of course, acid-base balance, if it is called into question and you need more information, an arterial blood gas may be indicated. And certainly if oxygenation is a question, then an arterial blood gas may be indicated. Now certainly there are other more non-invasive means to measure some of the values that you're going to uh, get in detail in an arterial blood gas, but an arterial blood gas will allow you to absolutely measure, again, pH, PCO2, and PO2. The oxygen carrying capacity, which is determined by arterial partial pressure of oxygen, the oxyhemoglobin SAT, and the total hemoglobin, as well as whether there's dyshemoglobin present, will allow you to conclude whether the potential for oxygenation is present. Whether you need to quantify the response to a therapeutic intervention, such as supplemental oxygen, they're placed on mechanical ventilation, or you're just doing a diagnostic eval, an arterial blood gas may be indicated. In addition, the need to assess maybe an early goal-directed therapy, the need to monitor severity and progression of a documented disease, and really the need to assess inadequacy of circulatory response can all be further evaluated via an arterial blood gas. That said, there's many other considerations before you draw an arterial blood gas, but usually it is physician-driven, and so we work under, as an RT, we work under the direction and the ordering uh, provider, which is usually a physician, could be a nurse practitioner or a physician's assistant. So the first thing when acquiring an arterial blood gas is the order. Thereafter, if the patient is able to react to your commands and respond to direction, then a modified Allen's test is recommended. 
problem. If you're not familiar with the modified Allen's test, it's just a confirmation of collateral circulation in case the radial artery becomes damaged. Now, the most common site of acquisition would be the radial artery. A close second would be the brachial. You can, of course, uh, draw from the dorsalis pedis artery on the uh, top portion of the foot if the protocol allows it at your institution. And there's other varieties. Certainly a femoral artery can be accessed. This is typically physician-driven, um, and there are some other options available. It's also worth noting that if the patient already has an arterial line in place, you would certainly be able to draw an ABG from the arterial line without causing too much more discomfort to the patient. Uh, be aware that damage can be done. Anytime that you're inserting a needle into a patient's body, it is going to cause some degree of discomfort, maybe even pain, so it is not a painless procedure. Um, it is very noxious stimuli at the least, and you can also cause damage to the artery and surrounding soft tissues. So a modified Allen's test is initially done. Uh, you've got all of your equipment ready. You make the puncture after palpating for a pulse. Not all patients will have a palpable pulse, but you know your general landmark when you are inserting a needle in hopes of acquiring an arterial blood sample draw. Uh, thereafter, once you acquire your sample, you want to make sure you hold adequate pressure. Typically, 15 to 30 seconds is adequate. You may have to hold pressure up to a minute or maybe longer. Um, there can be some bruising that occurs, uh, hematoma, worst case scenario. There can be damage to the actual artery itself. So the step-by-step -step process, besides the physician's order, gathering your equipment, cleaning the site, you're going to palpate, you're going to clean the site again, you're going to prepare the syringe and supplies, uh, you may want to confirm your palpation again, and you're going to stick. Let the patient know if they're awake and alert that you're going to stick, of course. And so moving forward into the idea of the procedure thereafter, once blood is acquired and you pull out and you hold pressure and the bleeding stops, some hospitals prefer that you cover the wound with a bandage, others not so much. It depends on your protocol. You're going to need to run the sample immediately. Now the current guidelines mandate that if you can't run it within about 15 minutes, you should probably place it on ice. Some sources recommend waiting 30 minutes before you place it on ice. The reason that we place the sample on ice is to slow down the metabolism of the blood because there's still continuous oxygen consumption, CO2 production at the cellular level. And in the case of an arterial blood gas, blood can also clot, it can settle and separate, and just a lot of things can be influential in causing false values. You want to get the most accurate representation of truly what is present in that blood sample at that time. And mind you, it is just a snapshot in time of that patient's condition during the blood draw. It's extremely important not to belabor the process because some patients tend to hold their breath anticipating the painful stick. Others tend to breathe faster and may even hyperventilate during the procedure. So you want to get in, you want to get out as efficiently as possible at the same time making it as comfortable for the patient as you possibly can. So moving forward after we draw the blood, whether to place it on ice or not is according to institution protocol, but you certainly want to clear any air bubbles from your sample. If an air bubble is allowed to remain in the sample, it happens to diffuse among the blood that you've sampled, 
it is going to cause an increase typically in PO2 and a decrease typically in PCO2. Now it's not always the case, but if you assume the patient is going to have a lower than normal PO2 and they're going to have a normal or slightly higher amount of CO2 in the blood, a higher PCO2. An air bubble, because it contains room air, tends to have a around 150 millimeter of mercury PO2 and a very negligible amount of PCO2. So what you're going to see if an air bubble is allowed to diffuse, under most circumstances it's going to falsely elevate the blood sample PO2 and falsely uh, decrease the blood sample PCO2. It doesn't alter pH all that much. Uh, a lot of studies have shown that body temperature really doesn't alter the sample either unless it is extreme one way or the other. So let's review and I want to introduce a few other considerations that would be considered special considerations. Uh, the first consideration is if a modified Allen's test cannot be done or performed because the patient is unable to follow commands or maybe is obtunded or comatose, it's okay to proceed with caution. Just be aware that we target the radial artery for a reason because there's typically adequate collateral circulation on the ulnar side um, in that particular region. If you do a brachial stick, you're accessing a very large artery and if it should become damaged, same with the femoral artery, a very large artery, if it should become damaged, um, then perfusion can be significantly decreased distal to the site of acquisition. Uh, we never access the carotid artery under any circumstances, but there are other options depending on your institution protocol for sites of acquisition. Of course, a physician's order is needed. Once the blood is drawn, we have to make sure that the sample is analyzed as quick as possible. Um, other than that, we need to remember that every arterial blood gas kit is different. Some kits are uh, very basic, others are inundated with various options, such as an alcohol pad, such as an iodine swab. I've seen some with several different varieties of gauze and the biohazard bag and the patient stickers. So they're all different, but just utilize your supplies that you have, realizing the process is rather simple. Physicians order, inform the patient, clean the site, you're going to palpate, re-clean, acquire the blood after you let the patient know that there is going to be a stick, you're going to hold pressure, you're going to secure the blood sample, protect the needle, that protects the patient. Once you've held pressure an adequate amount of time, usually 15 to 30 seconds, up to a minute or, or two even, um, you're going to go ahead and analyze your sample as soon as possible. If you can't analyze it immediately, place it on ice. Uh, once you get ready to analyze, make sure there are no air bubbles. Uh, we assume that you've cleared the air bubble at the bedside before you have uh, sought to analyze the sample. These are just some things to remember. When you are being asked whether the patient needs an arterial blood gas or you're debating on whether to recommend to the ordering provider whether the patient needs an arterial blood gas analysis, think what is the end goal? What are you trying to further evaluate? If the oxygenation status is called into question, is it called into question because the non-invasive SpO2 doesn't match the clinical picture or the way that the patient is describing their current state of breathing, um, if you are trying to further evaluate ventilation, 
Is it something that cannot be confirmed with just end-tidal CO2 or other clinical indices? If pH is really something that you're wanting to evaluate, can you evaluate pH on a venous blood gas, which is typically something accessible if they have an intravenous line already in, and you don't have to restick the patient. If they have an arterial line in, it usually doesn't cause the patient additional discomfort, although it is something to consider whether they still truly need arterial blood gas analysis. Now, in closing, hemoximetry is something that allows you to further evaluate the different types of hemoglobin present in that sample. A dysfunctional hemoglobin is anything that is unable to bind with oxygen. Um, deoxygenated hemoglobin is hemoglobin unattached to oxygen. And then oxyhemoglobin is hemoglobin that is attached to oxygen. Now, we also have the potential for evaluating carboxy hemoglobin levels, that is carbon monoxide attached to hemoglobin, met hemoglobin, which is a variation in the shape of hemoglobin. Once it is changed in shape, it usually does not have the ability to bind with oxygen as well. And there are some other things that are available on hemoxymmetry. Now, in closing, let's just summarize some things to still consider that may alter your results where you're not able to report an accurate value, even though the blood was acquired correctly and all you assume is going well from the time you acquire the blood until you analyze the sample. The blood could clot. There could be a machine error. There could simply be a bad electrode. If you are not running controls on your analysis device, then probably the measurement could be called into question. So I hope this has been helpful. Remember, not everyone needs an arterial blood gas just because it's going to give us more information than we currently have. In many institutions, a venous blood gas can be acquired and give a certain degree of the same information as far as pH, a generalized PCO2, a generalized PO2, realizing it is from the venous blood, but still may allow you to avoid acquiring an arterial blood gas and causing the patient unnecessary discomfort or pain. If you work in the infant or pediatric arena, you may notice that capillary blood gases can give you some good information. They're not the same as an arterial blood gas. They're not the same as a venous blood gas, but good information nonetheless. So I hope this has been helpful. Always ask yourself, does the patient truly need to have more blood drawn? And what am I really going to do with the numbers that I find? I wish you all the best as usual and take care of your patients the best way possible with care, compassion, and kindness.